Welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Batman. <laughs> uh, so that little piece of music we just introed with um, is maybe my face, favorite piece of the entire score. Uh, and I was just sitting here getting ready, listening to uh, or watching a podcast with the, uh, the director, uh, Matt Reeves, and the composer, um, Michael uh, Giacchino, that's how yeah. it's pronounced. And yeah, so. these guys have worked on a ton of films together. Uh, apparently, like you know, every film they do, they, they work together. And I, I didn't really know these guys. Like I didn't, like, they weren't really household names to me. Um, but uh, did you notice that, like, right in the in the middle, like the second crescendo, or the second build there, that like there's a little tiny bit of the um, the original like 1990s animated Batman theme intro it it's very very evocative of that and that was that was actually the first thing i thought when i watched this movie is it's very evocative of of danny elfman's score which Mm -hmm. you know obviously heavily influenced the the 1990 uh animated or 1992 maybe i think it was 92 animated series theme which is fucking just iconic um and it's like but but instead it's just like that that just just the like almost kind of allusions to that it it really uh you know it's effective it's it it like hits your nostalgia for the character but also just gives it that that dirge that droning you know Mm -hmm. quality which which is which is fucking great and that's you know also why they were able to integrate uh in so seamlessly uh something in the way the nirvana track into the you know kind of overall motif of the movie um they played it obviously in the first trailer that came out where everyone you know did their typical you know hollywood movie you know using a a somber depressing song in a trailer you know typical trope but i i think the movie actually you know integrated it within you know the movie and within the within uh pattinson's performance to the point where it wasn't you know the stereotypical use you know a popular song but just you know have a choir sing it or slow it down you know whatever <laughs> like the same shit that most well, you know in the song was nirvana never released that song as a single either that's like no that, God, that's a not a horrible like a, song to be a single <laughs> you know it's one of my favorite songs but it's like it's not a it's not a, a, a fun it's not fucking t- it's not a drive time spirit. radio song <laughs> right <laughs> And, you know, that Matt Reeves was like listening to this song over and over when he was writing this uh, is really interesting, too, that he, you know, was kind of like, this is this is the this is the tone of the character. This is like, you know, and I love that, like the when you hear the song for the first time, it's when, you know, uh, Batman Bruce Wayne sees the little kid, the little kid who just lost his, his dad. And, right. and that's like, we don't need to show you know his parents get killed anymore because we've seen that a million times but the minute that that song starts playing when they show the kid you're like oh ah like like this is you right. know and, and i'm usually opposed to uh you know the main character having a narration you know a monologue uh but it works so well here because you know for the first 5 minutes of the film you don't see batman anywhere <laughs> they're building right. this tension slowly and slowly uh, you know, it, and he's talking about like, you know, he's trying to terrify these people, these criminals, you know, street thugs, basically. And, you know, when you when you see this, uh, 
the guy with the Halloween mask who just robbed a store. And he's like, just standing in the middle of the street and he starts turning and looking down this dark alleyway. And you expect to see Batman and you don't see anything. And he says, they think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows. It's just like, <laughs> you smell like weed. I am weed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I, I love that opening. I, I love the opening and the closing monologue, which I'll, you know, mention later. Yeah. We'll talk about more in depth, but I, I, I love it. And I, and I agree, you know, uh, the bit like the th- the first thing they teach you like the first day of screenwriting class is like don't use monologues it's a crutch and i generally like you i i do agree with that but i think when it's deployed sparingly and in like the right you know with, like with the right tone with the right uh writer it can be super effective like because this yeah. movie was not you know all monologue it was opening monologue and then just the closing monologue and and it, it it really like you said i loved it was a it was just a really different approach to batman than any of the other films has taken and it was taxi driver you know it was yeah. it was a uh, roy shark from uh watchmen you know it, yeah roy, i always mispronounce that fucking word i hate that word uh <laughs> yeah, go back go back and listen to every one of our watchmen uh movie <laughs> uh, tv show reviews if you want to hear that oh, 15 times um but no, I agree. Yeah, but but no, I love that, and I love that he 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 is like a horror movie villain to like the the criminals of Gotham in this movie, and like even his introduction, or one of his introductions, <clears throat> like to the to the subway. I, I think that was the first time we see him, right? When he when he uh, saves the guy from getting his ass kicked by the uh, the subway right. hooligans, right? And um, his, and even his his steps, you you hear him before you see him. It, it's like the fucking when the bear Jew gets introduced in Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> right. when you hear like the banging in the tunnel, you know, like before he um, before he, he actually appears out of the right. shadows, and they do it and again it, it, later with the car, the car, right, right. <laughs> where you know, you, you, and so, so they were talking about the sound designer of the car on this podcast I was just listening to, and the sound designer I don't I don't have his name up here in front of me, but he basically you know when you're looking to to make a sound of something that doesn't, that sounds, you know, just beyond uh, what a normal car would sound. You, you go into looking for sound effects that are other things, and then you start modifying them, right? And so the sound designer found, basically, the first thing you hear is the sound of this turbine starting before the engine rolls over. So first you hear the sound, and you don't know what it is. Right, you know, like a fucking jet engine. Right. And the actual, the turbine sound was actually a sound of a bottle rocket that they slowed down about a thousand times and then pitched up again. Cool. Yeah. So the first thing you, but he, he did all these different sounds and sent them to Matt Reeves, the director, uh, and they were already like mixed together and they were all in sync. And Matt Reeves said, could you give me all those different sounds separately? Because I want to have them all start at different points. So first you hear the turbine, right? And then you hear the engine roll over and then you hear its fucking roar. So it's like this three-part thing, like to really, really drag out the suspense. <laughs> and I, I, I think that, you know, that kind of thinking um, of really dragging out suspense is what makes this movie so much better than any other Batman film. Well, and Matt Reeves, and again, like I, like you, I don't think I've ever seen anything he's done, or if I have, I can't remember. But like, he's certainly not somebody that was on my radar, but he really has like an auteur's attention to detail when it comes to these things. You could tell that he has a real passion for this character and for actually telling 
you know, a, a, a good bat, like a Batman story that's about Batman. Like that's the, th- the biggest yeah. thing, you know, unlike Nolan uh, who had made a Batman movie where Batman's not in it for 45 minutes. We're Batman, and, and Batman's the least compelling character and in, in arguably all three of the fucking Nolan movie, you know, especially the last two. Um, and I, and I love, you know, the dark Knight, um, you know, for what it is. And I think, you know, but the dark Knight is an awesome action crime drama that just happens to have, batman in it and also you know a fucking <laughs> it's the joker leg- movie it's heath ledger's right movie. and, and, a, and the, one of the most legendary you know villain performances of all time like but christian bale in that movie is fine but he's not you know he's not a character that i sympathize with he's not a character that's particularly you know i mean he does heroic things but none of it's like I, like Pattinson, you know, obviously he's 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 Batman, he's Bruce Wayne, so he has to be sad, like somber and kind of dour. But he, he genuinely has a sympathetic, like he he brings a sympathetic portrayal to the character in like just really subtle ways that I don't even think I fully kind of thought about and in, in the moment. But I but you know by the end of the movie, you really kind of feel that. And um, you know, I I, I loved just. Uh, he, he just really understated performance, which, you know, Pattinson is fucking excellent at. We we obviously reviewed the lighthouse in this podcast and, and raved about his performance in that movie. But um, and the director's just, cut, we get extra uh, an extra 15 minutes of him masturbating. <laughs> right. <laughs> and getting sprayed with shit um, <laughs> by, by, you know, by the wind. Um, that, no, that was the yeah. actual onion headline. I'm stealing that. <laughs> um, by the way that's that's good um I, yeah no I, I i just fucking loved it and and you know i'm somebody who you know i i've i kind of go in and out on superhero movies in general like i'm not that i'm like oh man like it i i nowadays i'm kind of burnt out to the point where i kind of sort of half go into something with my arms crossed so it's really got to be good for me to be like <laughs> right this is you know this is good and like the only times i've experienced that recently obviously the last spider-man movie i fucking loved but um this I, I, batman's always been the exception to me because it's a character i've i've you know loved since i was five years old like i you know i remember having like a fucking batman statue that like my I, my mom or whoever I, somebody bought me from the uh warner brothers store in new york they used to have a, a, a store in new york city the, the warner brothers store that would like sell like just warner brothers merchandise and you go in and there'd be a fucking the the batwing from uh batman forever or maybe it was batman i don't know from one of the batman movies would be like suspended from the ceiling uh and it would like Like how big are we talking oh no it was like i i don't know if it was the actual one but it was certainly full size uh to to, i I imagine to the to the movie it actually could could fly it could fly basically (laughs) right no but it was like the prop that's how they made movies back in in the late right they would just build it they would actually (laughs) build a plane that would yeah no they would um and it like like i don't have you ever been to the rainforest cafe is that like a thing near you uh we had one of those and it just closed like a year ago but i never went in there but i'm I'm, you know i'm I've been like F- familiar vaguely. Cafe, so I know what like themed restaurants like. So, like... W- so, so much like in those places, like every 15 minutes, all of a sudden, like the lights in the store would kind of go down and like the Batman score would start playing and the plane would start like j- it, they had it on like cables on some kind of a, you know, uh, <laughs> but it would start like moving sort of and like it, it was cool as shit. So like I, I've always been into fucking Batman. So I'll always, you know, see whatever, you know, live action Batman they put out. And I've, you know, 
had varying levels of you know uh, <laughs> enjoyment of them uh obviously the the Schumacher movies are are what they are um I I enjoyed them when I was eight years old I look back at them now as like Jesus fucking Christ like what I think like <laughs> what are these was, abortions yeah I mean it, it became such a like just a carousel of fucking bullshit though it was right. like it was all about like hey how many different hey let's get smashing pumpkins and seal on the soundtrack for the <laughs> it's like really like what this is <sighs> yeah so well, that, I, that, that, that's that was what ha- i mean you know and is the burton movies are, are very different than this this kind of the serious take on it but once he left the project i think it was just pedal to the metal as commercial as we can possibly as much fucking juice as we can squeeze from this thing let's get the fucking right. the cups the commemorative cups into the mcdonald's and let's get seal on this you know all, all that shit well that's what's but, so interesting though because like every time they have to do a screen test for a new guy to be batman he has to wear whatever the the last like batman <laughs> whatever bad whatever bat suit they right. have lying around so pattinson you know because this is this is like the way hollywood works even though he's a huge fucking star and you think like oh you every guy would want to play that like they didn't know that right. Pattinson, Matt Reeves wrote this with with Pattinson in mind. He was writing it for him, mm. not knowing if he'd want to play it. And it turned out that he wanted to play Batman before he even knew that Matt Reeves was writing the script for it. <laughs> so it right. was like like two trains going to crash into each other. So, uh, But still, like, you know, they, they have to head to the screen test and have to have you wear the suit because you might be attractive, but like you just don't look right in the fucking suit. Like, it's not a foregone conclusion that everyone can play it, right? So I think they they had him wear uh, Val Kilmer, uh, his costume, but, like, George Clooney's uh, mask is, like, just people, you know, face, body proportions are different. Um, But still, Matt Reeves, like, didn't know if the Warner Brothers Studios execs are going to approve of this, right? So that's, he wanted to have, like, as much shit as possible to, like, show them (laughs) why, like, why this was going to work. And he already had the score uh, because... Uh, what's this guy's name here again? Uh, Michael Giacchino had already started writing the score before the movie, uh, which they had, you know, it, it, this is basically everything that they talked about in this podcast was how having the score ahead of time, like changed the way that they ended up writing things and shooting things and editing things. When uh, Pattinson had to do his ADR, uh, usually have your own voice in the headphones to hear yourself. And instead of right. he- listening to himself, he had the score playing. The ADR is, of course, when you you know dub things in later uh, after production. Right, when they, they don't catch it quite as well as they would like to right. on the microphone. So you just lip sync basically with yourself. So they had the score to play the the <clears throat> Warner Brothers executives, but they also had the footage of him like completely bathed in red light, putting the makeup around his eyes because they wanted to actually show that happening instead of having it be like a mystery, how it gets there and disappears like every other Batman movie. <laughs> right. I mean, literally in, in fucking Batman returns, he's in the back cave and he's got the, the, the cowl on and you can see an eye black around it. And he pulls like the rubber cowl off and it's just gone. It's, it's so it's every, it's, it's everyone. It's the fucking, but it's all of them, the right? end of it's Batman of returns. Michael Keaton takes his mask off to show Catwoman that he's Batman. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, she right. already knew. She already fucking knew. Like, so what's the point? You just revealed your face to the bad guys. Who... Everyone knew he was Batman. Those bad. fucking Alfred was just like, "Hey, Vicky Vale, come down to the Batcave." Like, you know, right? Just, there was no, no, no fucking but, secret like, identity. So Michelle Pfeiffer, there. Catwoman, kills those two guys, but they're still both alive when he takes his mask off. And Batman doesn't kill people. So, like, what the fuck was he doing? <laughs> it makes no fucking sense. So, yeah, I, I obviously oh. recently rewatched that, and it it does hold up pretty well. Um, 
Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, and uh, Christopher Walken completely own that movie. Oh, they're so <laughs> by good. By the way, movie. so fucking good. Just the whole sequence of Michelle Pfeiffer like going crazy and becoming Catwoman, like making her suit. It's like a five minute right. long sequence with no dialogue. It is so good. And then, of course, everyone's seen the video of her uh, actually like whipping the foreheads off the mannequins. Right, like, all in one take, doing it. Right, it's like why would why would you fucking cut that scene up like that? Like why wouldn't you just show her actually doing the thing? <laughs> like right. dude, why wouldn't you show it all in one take the way it really was? So uh, awesome. God bless but, her. Um, I know. Yeah, but, so, yeah. No, I, I I love those those first two movies, and you know Keaton as Batman. I, I think Pattinson. You know, I was saying for a while. You know, before this movie came out, I thought you know Affleck was probably the strongest batman and i thought keaton was the best bruce wayne and you know this is so i i just saw this so it's really hard for me to process but i really loved the the duality of Patton in this movie because he, he he actually spends very little time as bruce wayne in this movie like he 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 you know you think of how many times you actually see him you know out of the out of the cow right. is not not a ton of times but I, he's well, christian he's bale so would good. sleep through board meetings Pattinson doesn't even go to the board meetings and I think right. that's, that's what makes this movie so much more relatable is he's he has no interest in being Bruce Wayne like the few right. times you see him like you see him when he wakes up in the t-shirt and he puts on sunglasses because he's like oh fucking light I don't <laughs> it's, like that's like my life right there <laughs> I mean right. he basically plays him like a and obviously his <laughs> roots in film but he does play him like a vampire like a non, yeah. non-sparkly I mean, vampire he, he's playing yeah. him as Kurt Cobain that was right. I mean Matt Reeves wrote this <clears throat> with you know like basically Kurt Cobain's uh love of music but hatred of being a, a famous person was what he wanted to inject into this character. You know, he goes to this right. funeral and everyone's like, hey, Bruce, hi, Bruce, how's it going? He's like, he just doesn't even respond to he doesn't, anybody. He doesn't sell it at all, right? He's like, hey, will you, the, the woman that run for mayor is like, hey, will you wait here for me? And he doesn't say anything. She just walks away. <laughs> like, <laughs> he doesn't fucking care about any of it. You know, like, he, he's, he's only there to, to fucking razzle the the fucking guy he thinks is the is the big crime kingpin or is the big crime kingpin. Uh, and you know, look out for uh, in service Paul of Dano. <laughs> right? No, I mean, like literally, he's only ever publicly Bruce Wayne in service of you know doing some Batman shit that he can't do at night or that he needs to do undercover. Like that's the only right. time he ever even presents himself as Bruce Wayne. So right, or, or um, just when he's out, you know, in a motorcycle helmet in the backpack. I love that too because that's that's like you couldn't just be walking around the streets as Batman, right? Like well, he, you have so, to be in like a separate. You'd have to have like a separate, you know, uh, outfit for all that, which I love well, that and, they, they did. And that was a nice nod to year one, which is a big uh, comic influence on this movie. Uh, year one's Frank Miller's great fucking graphic novel, uh, you know, of, of basically telling Batman's origin, but it's not, you know, a fucking rehash of his, you know, the parents gig. It's just, it's actually like, this is he doesn't fall down a, f- a well and the well has bats in it. <laughs> I, there might be like one panel of that, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's yeah. really the, like the, an overarching story, like the, his first, you know, fucking major, you know, kind of like crime fighting experiences when he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And like, doesn't his gadgets don't really work, which in this movie you kind of see. And, 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 you know, the, the this movie in a, in a it was, Influenced by that uh, and by uh, Long Halloween, which is basically Batman Year Two, it was, it, it was a direct continuity of, of Batman Year One. And even at the beginning of this movie, you see him close a notebook that says uh, the Gotham Project Year Two. But yeah, 
Uh, so just, uh, but, but but the reason I was alluding to that is in in year one he wears a motorcycle helmet and like kind of like eye black when he goes out during the day because he can't be seen in the bat suit during the day. But he does that when he needs to go around and and still be stealth and still be you know incognito. The other thing I um, like to change was that they moved Wayne Manor to actually being in the city instead of fucking 20 miles out in the country for no reason. Chester County, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah like that'd be a, a fucking pain in the ass commute. Every time it's a crime, you got to fucking drive 40 miles. <laughs> well, and, and like in the in the real goofy, you know, movies, he had like the fucking bat plane or whatever, or like the bat mobile, which would like, you know, do 200 miles an hour on this like, you know, miraculously straight, you know, back road or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, it does make a lot more sense for him to literally be, you know, within striking distance of whatever he needs to to do. But um, the reason and Matt Reeves had cited a couple of uh, Batman stories as uh, major influences on the movie. And he did cite year one and uh, the long Halloween. And the funny thing about the long Halloween, uh, which is uh, basically like a the godfather with batman like it, it's it's basically the story of the the uh falcone and the moroni crime families in this like major gangland hey yeah it, it's <laughs> it's it's real guinea it's real fucking like it really is like the guy i mean they even in the, uh falcone is drawn to look like brando and the godfather if you look at the panels from yeah. that uh comic and it's great it's one of the best fucking batman stories of all time and the guy who wrote it, Jeff Loeb, taught Matt Reeves screenwriting at USC. So I'm sure <laughs> that played a huge, which is just a great little, you know, Easter egg uh, trivia thing I came across. But it's I'm sure that that's something that, you know, he talked with him about because he probably has that relationship with him. And, um, you know, it really felt like he he understood the kind of soul of this character and the soul of like a really good batman story and not just what is the the most you know <laughs> commercial batman story we could come up right with. uh well credit to warner brothers too because i mean the, the obviously the dc universe is uh struggling <laughs> to say the least Fiasco, yeah yeah just a little shit show um but when warner brothers uh wanted to meet with matt reeves they call it a general meeting and he was like i'm in the middle of post-production on one of the planet of the eight movies and i have no time for this and they're like it's not a general meeting. It's actually actually about Batman. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, and they explained, time for this. <laughs> yeah, they explained like where they were with the DCU and Affleck, and they were like, this is the the next movie we want to make. And he's like, I don't want to make that. I don't want to make that. And he wasn't even opposed to Ben Affleck being in it. He was just like, the kind of movie you want to make is not what I would make. And they were like, uh, so what movie do you want to make? <laughs> and he was apparently really surprised by that. And he's like, well, here's the movie I want to make, but you're going to have to wait at least a year for me to even start on that. And they were like, okay. <laughs> so clearly he they he knew would... that he, right. he had a vision that was better than what they had. Right. And they were right. trying to do something better and different. And he, he later said he actually really liked Affleck's uh, script. It, he called, he likened it to like a James Bond movie, basically, but it's just not the movie that he, you know, he, right. he seems like somebody who's a singular filmmaker he writes i'm pretty sure he writes everything he's major thing he's directed all the planet right. of the apes movies and those which, movies were amazing i was like they're rebooting planet of the apes again and then i watched them i was like holy shit those are really I, fucking good i, I, I want to watch them now because i i they got really good reviews at the time and i kind of yeah. was always just like i never really cared for the, the franchise but he apparently does interesting things with, did you, with did you ever see that mark Wahlberg version 
Oh yeah, well that's why because I, I saw that when it came out, and it's I was so like, "This bad. is a fucking piece of garbage." Um, yeah, <laughs> directed by Tim Burton, by the way. But, yeah, uh, well, you can only put so many top hats on Danny DeVito before you finally right, make some shit. <laughs> exactly, but uh, um, no, yeah, no, I uh, I lost my train. I thought, oh no, but so, yeah, so I've never seen anything he's written, but he he hasn't been given the reins to a lot of projects, so it was you know, probably on the strength of those, those apes movies that he got this movie. And now I'm like, just fascinated to see what they let him do and like what kind of original concepts he has, or if he's going to continue making Batman movies. Cause I, I fucking loved his approach to it. I loved that. He's just clearly has an appreciation for the type of storytelling that they do in some of the better kind of comic arcs well, within and, and that's, Batman. That's, that's what I, the, you know, the, the Nolan Batman films are technically really good, right? right to Christopher but, Nolan. I mean, he, still, he doesn't make a bad looking movie. It's, it's Christopher Nolan's this posh British rich guy that sees Bruce Wayne first and foremost as a posh rich guy. Right. Right. And it, it, it you know, his, his, that reflects on the character. Right. And the other problem I have with those movies, those Nolan movies, is like everything seems so grounded and realistic up until the third act, and then shit just gets fucking ridiculous <laughs> and and so implausible that it, t- it like completely would take me out of the movie. Like, oh, you trapped the entire Gotham police force, all the cops who were apparently all on shift at the same time uh, <laughs> underground for three months, and how did they live for all that time without food or water? And nobody tried, you know, climbing out. Like really, no one looked for a fucking manhole to climb. It's a, it's amazing <laughs> it's that like th- th- they they thought that that would get by and that we wouldn't realize that the army would have come. In. Like, there's no fucking there's, way. right. There's no national guard. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no there's no fucking marines. There's no no navy. No no, they can't get to them. They're they're on an island. No, I mean, on... Batman's not around, so there's no possible way to. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. And I loved everything <laughs> in this movie. Like, just to, almost every single thing in this movie could plausibly realistically happen aside from like the cops not taking his mask off before they like had transported him to the police station laid him on a table and they'll gather well, I, around i hope i i, I <laughs> but, hope like he just has some like anti you know unmasking t- like he's had that in some of the movies before where basically it's like you know electrified if you try to take his cowl off like yeah. but you know, it's some bullshit well, tech, you know. Home, homeboy thing, but... who grabbed him by the ears was fucking brave because that was that set him the fuck off. <laughs> I was like, I, do I, not I, touch the so fucking good. ears. <laughs> I was so fucking down for him to just kick the shit out of the fifty cops that right. he was in that fucking basement. <laughs> well, I love the, the like the the shift that happens when he's like, just give us the room, and then he's like, you gotta get the fuck out of here because I can't control these guys, and these guys are fucking maniacs. They're cops, right? Right. Which was <laughs> it, that's what the other great thing is like a lot of Batman stories especially when they're not written by any somebody who's you know conscious of this or has an awareness of 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 what cops actually are in the society uh they'll write him as another cop like you know they'll write him as like oh well only like the one or two dirty cops in gordon's unit don't like him but in this movie like it's almost all of them (laughs) it's almost all of them which is fucking great and you know the obviously the the i guess he's the commissioner at the time the 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 white guy who is is you know clearly corrupt yeah. yeah yeah uh because you know I, <laughs> yeah um fucking uh yeah they, they all hate him and then gordon who i don't even th- i think is still a lieutenant at this point he's not the commissioner yet if i i don't remember if they ever even say or not but that's in the comics like contextually it's he's right. just starting as a cop too more or less you know he's, he's he doesn't have that much experience but um 
Yeah, I love that. And I love that Gordon's the only one that like he trusts and that, you know, he vice versa. Uh and yeah, I, I just fucking love that scene. I loved um you know, a few a little bit before that, the the scene where he's fighting the the uh the the gang the street gang i don't know if they were uh, joker and spy i don't know what the fuck they were supposed to be. just it was just halloween face it was halloween and I, and I love that because like the 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 way that the entire thing works right the the way that we can you know even like just a guy in a bat suit is so implausible you know we've just accepted that like this this is a crazy fucking world and it's like well how do we make that more grounded and seem realistic at that there's you know costume freaks running around well the story right. starts on halloween Right. And it moves away from that point. Right. So it's like it, it, it just the idea that people dress up in costume has to be normalized in some way. Um, and, and I also love the uh, some of the names of the tracks, you know, on the, on the film score, different pieces of music have different names. And uh, Michael uh, Giacchino got to name all the tracks. And mm-hmm. there's some really funny puns in here. So I'm just going to read real quick a couple of the names of the tracks here. Uh, Can't fight City Hall. Oween. <laughs> um the opening piece of music that uh, we listened to uh as our intro that i edited slightly is called riddles riddles everywhere uh next one is moving in for the gill of course gill was was the da who had the uh, the neck bomb uh an imperfect murder cats per uh escaped crusader uh, the music that plays during the amazing fucking car chase is Highway to the Anger Zone. <laughs> um, That's great. The final track is All Well That Ends Farewell. Uh, and this is my favorite one, Meow and You and Everyone We Know, which, is, of course, is a pun of the Rainbow July film. <laughs> right, right. That's great. Um, and we'll definitely get, get to the car chase because that was incredible. But the that so that scene, you know, one of the things I actually another thing I really loved about this movie and I've talked up uh, to you, I think, off air and even on the podcast when we've talked about, you know, bat related things uh, is is the is the Arkham games, the the games that came out kind of in the mid 2010s, um, which which I think is really the closest outside of the actual comics that anyone has gotten to telling like the perfect Batman story. And there's a lot of influence from that from those games on this movie. And I don't know if that's you know, a conscious choice by Matt Reeves, or if that's just a commercial kind of, you know, synergy thing, because they know like a lot of the people who grew up playing those games are going to be the 20 year olds that are going to be seeing this movie. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, it's just, I, you know, I think it's both, but the, the level of the like games are at now too, is it's like the idea that you would base a movie on a video game used to be laughable. Right. They used to be like Doom with The Rock, like the right. worst fucking movies you've ever seen in your life. But, but... but now, you, I mean, you play games now that have, you know, hundreds of people that worked on them for years. And it's like you right. play these fucking games and it's like, this is the most like I'm I'm living a separate life in this fucking game. It's, it's, it's fucking realistic. Right. I mean, I mean, they're making like a prestige HBO drama with fucking Pedro Pascal out of the, the last of us game. Like it's, it's, you know, it's crazy yeah. the shit that they do, but um, a couple of just it, like, there's a lot of uh, similar sound effects in his like kind of back computer to the game. Like they use the same sound effect from the game that you, it, it, just little Pavlovian things like that. But then another really cool thing was, I don't know if you realize quite what was happening, but if you've played those games, you have this ballistic armor that basically, when you get shot in the game, you obviously are wearing, you know, like the, the bulletproof, you know, bat suit or bat armor. 
and as you get shot it basically charges up this this like kind of like stunt like this like electro uh, emp charge basically so when he gets shot it builds up and then he, he can discharge it like by you know charging his fist basically so there there's that scene where he's getting shot in the uh subway and like it you know you see it kind of like lighting up orange on his chest and then he fucking hits the guy in the neck with like the like the taser sort of thing but i yeah. think that that was sort of an allusion to those sort of uh fit. it's just a cool it was just a cool little nod to that but That's um true. but i like that i i really like a lot of his proto gadgets like he's not the, the just comically you know outlandishly gadgeted he's got a lot of practical things he's got the grappling hook which you have to have but like he well, doesn't that, have that was, the fucking yeah so that was my question was like it, when he when he shoots the grappling hook and goes flying up the stairs and the cops are chasing him and shooting at him and he gets up on that roof and he's about to jump off of it he he's fucking terrified right because he's it's, right it's like he's never done this before he's thought about it <laughs> he clearly has like the glider thing but with him or it's like his cape can turn into it so he but he he's so terrified you can tell he's never done it before Right. right. But if he is... hasn't ever done this before, why did Gordon tell him to go up the fucking stairs? Where the fuck was he sending him if he didn't have this ability already? Right. I, so... and maybe he thought he could just outrun them up the stairs and like climb down. Who fucking knows? But... Right. Right. It's like if, I, but... if, if I'd never done that before, I don't know why someone would tell me to go up the stairs to escape instead of telling me to go down the fucking stairs to escape. But... Well, he probably couldn't escape out of the lobby. <laughs> I'm sure that was the I'm thinking is like you're not yeah. you're not going to get past 50 cops in the lobby. But maybe you can find a way off you know, the roof. I mean, if you don't know this guy, you know, his real name, and you don't, you've only known him for two years, you just assume if he calls himself Batman that he can fly, I guess. <laughs> right. But no, I love that. And that was such a great, subtle touch. And I think people are, you know, that's one of like the things that you'd never see in another Batman movie. And it was kind of like great to show him as such like a, like just as it was, a, it was just a subtle humanization to have him get up there and actually, oh yeah, like visibly be scared of like the fucking ledge, like and any you of see us would why, be. Because he clearly does not stick that landing either. <laughs> no, no, he gets fucked up, which was another great touch. But yeah, so he doesn't have like this comical fucking cape that all of a sudden he sticks his arms out and it goes rigid and he's like a fucking hang glider. Like he has this weird like squirrel suit, like like which is a real thing, you know, people have for base jumping. Um, that he just has like, you know, kind of built into his costume that he can deploy. Um, and like you said, he clearly either hasn't used it or used it like in a, in a Canyon or in like a much more fucking controlled, controlled setting, yeah. right? <laughs> Not with a bunch of fucking, you know, subway overhangs that you're going to get hung up on and fucked up. But, uh, Seriously. It, that was great. I, I love that scene. Just little stuff like that. I think, you know, if you don't beat your superhero down and show that he's uh human and that he's you know defeatable then like what the f it's not you know right then, then it's captain marvel succeed. where it's like it has no flaws has no arc you know has nothing invested uh in, in their growth you know or right. or or ray from star wars where it's like oh she's perfect already and it's like it's it's not that you know you can't have a hero become perfect eventually but if they have no struggle then you have no character arc it, it's just bad storytelling right it's just not right. it's not story you're not storytelling if you're not going to give and, your and, yeah, right and i get like you want to have hero's oh, journey you know you want to have all these strong female characters and it's like okay simply being imperfect is not a strength that's a that's a flaw of the character and not a flaw in the way that makes them interesting 
it, it's right. you know, the flaw in the writing. <laughs> right. Um, it's, a flaw, it's a deficiency of, of the actual person who wrote it. But And that's why everyone likes this movie. You know, that's that's why this is people love this as much as Spider-Man because it's like, okay, here the the hero has flaws. The hero makes fucking huge mistakes. He fucks up like multiple times. Like yeah. he, he fucked up and probably killed, you know, hundreds of thousands or thousands of people. Like it's hard, you know, hard to determine. <laughs> right. But um, well, yeah, my favorite. The- yeah, my favorite mistake though is you know mm-hmm. he's he's solving all these riddles, right? Right. And then he, they they they're so sh- sure of themselves. And then the penguin's like, "Are you fucking kidding me, La Rata? <laughs> it's L. What like uh, world's greatest detectives? <laughs> I, I fucking love that scene, Colin Farrell. Everyone was like, so you know, good. the people that rag on the idea of like putting on a bunch of prosthetics, you know, Jared Leto playing the um, Gucci guy, or whatever. The people that like don't don't like that for some reason. It's it's like why? It's fucking Hollywood. If if you, like, do you know how many illusions they're showing you that you <laughs> like? That's part of it, right? Um, you think anyone in Hollywood has like real hair, real teeth? Like all it's all fucking <laughs> yeah, it's all fake. <laughs> variations of prosthetics, you know? Yeah, but I just I love this this version of Peng. I mean, I love Danny DeVito's version of it, but I love this because it's like he doesn't. He's just a regular guy. He's just a fucking you know Italian mobster. You know, like, hey, what do you about sh- uh, to show you the picture of my partner's face? Like, ah, what are you showing me? Hey, what are you doing over here? <laughs> right. It, it's just he's great. He's just like a fucking just skeevy fucking like low life, but you know, he he knows enough to to know that like once fucking Falcone goes down, he knows everything about his operation. He's gonna slide right in there, right? And you know, become the kingpin that we know him to be in the comics. But I. I, I really did love his performance. And he actually, I, I read that, he, I don't know if he or Matt Reeves, one of them had patterned his character and his portrayal on Fredo from The Godfather. Like, as just like yeah. this, like, you know, fuck up, but he knows way more than he lets on. And he's he's not as... as it's He's the comic relief in this movie. I mean, there's a ton of funny <laughs> moments. I, I, I love, there's so many funny lines that are not jokes, though. That just, you know, Batman looks down and... You know, he's in Celine Kyle's apartment. He looks down. And he just goes, "You have a lot of cats." It's <laughs> the funniest well, fucking line. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about Batman in the comics is that he is funny, and like I feel like in that kind of way, in a very specific way that not a lot of people kind of under like can can do that humor. And it, I really appreciated that they made nod to that, where he's just really fucking straight, and he, I don't even think he thinks he's making a joke, but he's almost fucking just completely socially awkward to the point where it is funny that like, he just never knows how to oh, fucking okay. talk to people. Um, yeah. But, but right. I, I really, they, they nailed the tone of that, but uh, no, f- Colin Farrell fucking great. This movie just real over the top fucking uh, you alluded to that car chase earlier and what a fucking scene. I mean that, you know, uh, it, it just, just really just harrowing fucking like car chase, you know, it, like going into fucking, opposing traffic on the, on the highway and like just the it was shot very uh upsettingly i think is like i i really like felt like not like i was in the car but like it, it wasn't shot in a hollywood way where you get 15 angles of the car flipping over like it just felt no. like like you were in a fucking car that was flipping over like well, that was i felt like that was maybe one thing that uh they took from nolan was you know just locking down a camera on the car that's moving and not seeing the whole car, just seeing like whatever the camera can see that's bolted at the right. side of the car gives you a very subjective, um, 
uh, experience where you feel like you're you're stuck on the car too like you're in the car chase and that's what makes it terrifying right uh i do think it's pretty funny though because like as, as many trucks fucking exploded on that highway and all the cars that were you know crammed in the middle of them like I'm pretty sure Batman, just to, you know, question the penguin, killed several dozen people. <laughs> Which is why I love that the title of the music for that is uh, Highway to the Anger Zone. Because <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, Batman, you got a little fucking tunnel vision right now. It's a little, like, little, little over the top, this, dude. This is but, why you uh... don't chase somebody, you know, this is why you should have, like, do not pursue policies at certain times. <laughs> right. But this, uh, and this, and, you know, it, it, in, in a way, it leads back into the thing, the, the, the realization you kind of makes at the end which is i think the fundamental core of batman especially in the in in the better you know stories in the comics that i don't think the movies ever grapple with which is you know am i helping or am i literally causing all of this like are these fucking psychos starting to mask up you know because of me like am i am i escalating the situation which is you know something we talk about police all the time with with police all the time where they fucking you know get these these tanks and shit and then it, it they just escalate the violence and i think that that's something that he he grapples with at the end of the movie and that he realizes that he needs to be better he can't just you know i, I think that you know in that last scene which we'll, we'll we'll talk about it in depth but it you know when when they unmask one of the 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 uh alt-right like incel guys one of the, the, one of the editors right um yeah. And he, and he says, who are you? And he says, I'm vengeance. And I, I I doubt that that guy knows that Batman fucking says that. Like, I, you know, that's not public knowledge. He just says that. And he realizes the fucking folly of everything that he's his approach completely up to that point. Like, he's, right. you know, inspiring psychos. He's not, you know, he's not doing what he thinks he's doing. So, so he, the he, realizes final... he has to be more than that, you know? Yeah. So the, the final scene that takes place at this huge, uh, you know, convention center or whatever. Madison uh, Square Garden, but not Gotham Square Garden, like literally. So, so the outside of that build, I mean, obviously the inside of the building they shot on a soundstage, but the outside right. of the building is the Thompson Center here in uh, downtown Chicago. And I love every time that movies uh, shoot there or shoot outside of it or or the inside because it's one of the, the few uh amazing postmodern buildings that i actually like usually i hate postmodern architecture right uh but it, the, the entire end scene is was like to me was almost unnecessary you know to end it with the scene with the riddler would have been like where i would have cut it but again it's hollywood and they gotta have a huge giant set piece for the ending but it, it you know at least they didn't go fucking you know, as crazy I, it, as some of the, some of the, you know, like the fucking Black Widow, where they're just like, you know, spaceship exploding and everything's <laughs> falling, and everything's fucking CGI, and it's just dumb and stupid. Like this, at least, it was like you could conceive of somebody blowing up a seawall, and there's a flood, and people are taking refuge, and some fucking Reddit guys have, you know, shot. I, I like that. I like that aspect of it. I, I agree that it was probably over the top and unnecessary, but I do like the the way it thematically wraps up the story that Reeves was trying to tell with his character and with, you know, the fact that he is a young Batman, he's still finding his way and he doesn't realize I actually want to read. I have the ending monologue. It's like just a little paragraph. I want to read it for, you know, just to sure. talk about it. Um, where is it? I'm starting to see now I've had an effect here, but not the one I intend. And this is, you know, model, the, the only other monologue other than the opening monologue from the voiceover. Uh, I'm starting to see now I've had an effect here, but not the one I intended. Vengeance won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. I become, uh, I have to become more. People need hope. 
to know someone's out there for them. The city's angry and scarred like me. Our scars destroy us even after the physical wounds have healed. Uh, but if we can survive them, they can give us power to endure and the strength to fight, which is, you know, really just, I'm sure the thesis that Matt Reeves, you know, took into writing this movie. And, and that's the journey that Batman takes over the course of this movie. And, you know, I, I, I just think it's really, uh, it, it, it's just an elevated way of telling a Batman story that, that like Batman doesn't go on any kind of a fucking journey in almost any other live action depiction of him and and i i just really appreciate well he did get they... his spine broke once it had to climb up a fucking wall <laughs> right and third, like, and third jump... time's a charm of course right you know? yeah uh, but right i mean <laughs> uh, yeah right outside of you know the the greek mytho- mythological illusions aside I, yeah it, it's just you know i i appreciate that they actually the fact that he is a young you know he's a young version of him and he and he's learning he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing in, in a lot of ways so he's learning you know how to not be you know the he's realizing like the folly of the, his approach so i i appreciated that it does make me wonder like what do they do for the sequel to this because he's already done this arc <laughs> like where does where well, do you where do you go with it from here i don't know i mean that's you know i i i after seeing this movie and just like like we talked about all the the the, the just great subtle filmmaking touches that that uh reeves brought to it i'm very interested to see where he would take him from here because i mean I, you know obviously they they teased uh briefly in arkham you know in, interacting with the joker and then they released that that deleted scene on youtube you know of, of like a couple of weeks ago before the uh hbo max release where he like just has like a five minute conversation with the joker and it, it's I, like I, did you watch it? i just i actually just watched it earlier no it i didn't because i was kind of just like uh, you know Weird, there's a reason mark out of the film and uh, you know it's it's like obviously you shoot things that you think you might want to put in and then they edited the film and he decided he didn't want to put it in there and it's, it's possible they just made him shoot that like knowing they would never put it in the movie and just make it like a viral thing a month later, you know? Be. Yeah, it could be, but uh, cause it really doesn't fit with the tone of the movie and it, but it, so it's fine. I, I don't know if I want to see a whole movie with that. You know, I, 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 my initial thought is like, I don't know if I want to see a whole movie with that guy's the Joker. Cause he just didn't, you know, jump off the page at me, but I maybe would have said that about Paul Dano, you know, if you had just show me like one little snippet of his, you know performance but when you actually watch him in this movie he's he's incredible he's like fucking he, well, he, he's the thing is like paul dano only plays paul dano right like right. it's it's paul dano and his same haircut in every movie and that's just what he does that's just who he is um, he just looks like a serial killer he I, looks like a like a mild-mannered midwest serial killer so I, it, uh, you haven't seen prisoners but prisoners is one of my favorite films and if you watch it you will be convinced that paul dano really killed children <laughs> just because he's paul dano he just um, has that face yeah yeah he's like he has like this perpetual boyish face that looks like he just uh murdered someone's cat right <laughs> it's just right. who he is um but so he got to like you know because most of his scenes are just him on a cell phone right uh, he didn't have any direction he was just allowed to go shoot all those himself and he did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of takes <laughs> because he was just like all right well i'm just gonna fucking go for it um uh, but so because the woman- 
Yeah. It was because the woman with the fucking rat cage on her head probably genuinely was like harrowed and terrified by the end because that was like the 150th take of him screaming at her and like shaking the fucking cage around her head or whatever. The woman. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Doesn't he? Didn't he have like. The, I. I. I or what, I was like, I don't remember. There was one scene where he had like the fucking the ca- like the cage, like almost like a jigsaw fucking thing on like the. That was head. that was the police commissioner. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. The <laughs> the fat guy with the beard from the beginning uh, that said "Happy fucking Halloween." That guy. Okay. Um. Yeah, but anyways, it's it's thing, still yeah. just like I I don't I don't even know if as an actor I could do a scene like that. Um. But yeah, Paul Dano, I always just imagine like every character Paul Dano's playing uh, is Eli Sunday from uh, There Will Be Blood, right? And it's also kind of amazing that, you know, the the way that that movie ends uh, with Paul Dano, um, not to spoil anything, but uh, he takes a uh, bowling pin to the head several times. And it's the exact same amount of times he fucking beans the mayor to death <laughs> over the head in this movie, too. So I almost kind of feel like it's it's like Paul Dano getting revenge in a weird way. What a disturb! By the way, what a disturbing! I like the way they shot that too, where he's just fucking like standing, like you know, inches behind him, and you don't see him until he. Mo- it, it it really just, you know, a lot of like just great like psychological thr- uh, thriller slash horror, you know, tr- like tropes, but like well done tropes, like visual tropes that that uh, Reeves used in this movie, and just the way he fucking just you know, like animalistically like screams and like runs at him and fucking whacks him in the head. It it was fucking great. Like terrified me. I was like genuinely like Jesus Christ. Like that's not, you know, like the, the, you know, the Riddler you think of when you, when you hear the the Riddler before you saw this movie is like, you know, Jim Carrey, either Jim Carrey (laughs) or just like the fucking anime, you know, just a fucking goof who like says these like goofy ass riddles and like occasionally, you know plants bombs all around gotham that batman has to go and defuse you know or whatever but right they were able to bring that aspect of his character but also make him this just clearly fucking disturbed but you know this this psych this psychotic like antisocial like you know uh, sort of genius but not like full-on like you know oh he, he's you know unmatched and like he's just no he's just like is good at riddles and like it, but is like a psychopath who can't have a conversation with somebody. Right. Um, Cause and, the kind of person who really would, you know, break into someone's house and, you know, cut their <clears throat> fingers off and put rats in a fucking cage in a bomb run. Like they're not intelligent people. They're fucking <laughs> lunatics. They're crazy. Right. They're mentally disturbed. Right. <laughs> that reminds me of so they're, they're another the kind, great... Yeah. I mean, it's like the Zodiac killer, like the kind of person who would write Very out a Zodiac. fucking, you know, it's it's John Doe from Seven, the guy who's like, you know, cutting his fingertips off and filling, you know, thousands of volumes of journals with just fucking crazy thoughts. Right. That's this, that's this, <laughs> right. And this had a, he had a major Zodiac killer vibe and clear, clearly an influence. But mm-hmm. it just reminded me of another great fucking joke from this movie where, where Batman like <laughs> gives like a pregnant pause and then holds it up and goes, uh, thumb drive. <laughs> He's got the fucking thumb hanging off the right. USB stick. Just like, shit what, like what are we that. looking for thumb drive <laughs> where he doesn't know he's even joking or he doesn't think he's even joking and fucking right it's just it's great um but yeah no he was he was fucking great and i i, I really you know i i like the fact that you know like batman fucked up and like they you know he realizes because he's just you know happens to have that one cop in there is like oh yeah my dad was a was a carpenter that's a that's a carpet tool that's how you, you tuck it in at the ends or whatever and he's like right what 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 and he like fucking like rips the carpet up and 
you know, we see the fucking map with all the with all the the bombs, like the positions of the bombs, and they find the 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 password to unlock the fucking video, where we we see the the ultimate plan for for the Riddler and his five hundred followers on social media. <laughs> you know it was, it was also oh, it was hilarious, hilarious. I'm like oh he's got like almost 500 followers <laughs> right. that's like nothing followers. that's like nothing um yeah i mean the, the idea that they wouldn't have tossed that apartment to the point of ripping up the carpeting you know uh is a little, kind ridiculous. Of a, a little implausible because when they you know when you catch the person who killed the mayor and the police commissioner you're going to dismantle their every square well, you also inch send you, you also don't even go in that apartment you send in a bomb robot like no, no there's right. no way you're going i mean you treat that like every fucking major you know uh like terrorist we've apprehended in the you know white terrorists that we've apprehended in the u.s you know you you, you assume that their house is booby trapped because it, oftentimes it is like it's happened a lot um so yeah, but but you know that aside, you know obviously plot, <laughs> you know, plot devices have to exist. But but right. I, it's I still enjoyed... a detective story, and I and I love that this is you know not only is this like the first Batman movie that's actually about Batman, but you know he's in every single scene once he's actually introduced, and he actually gets to be a fucking detective. This this really right. is a detective story, you know, and and, and that's the and one. He's an thing amateur that... detective, which is why he fucks right. up. Like he doesn't, you know, he's not a fucking. Sherlock Holmes like he he know like that's obviously you know somewhat uh, an inspiration for for you know different different arcs that Batman's had in the comics where he kind of uses Alfred as his Watson but he is a fucking amateur at the end of the day mm-hmm. um and he does fuck up and like he fucks up in a major way and and you know this this plot that the Riddler has to blow up the fucking seawalls in in you know <laughs> or in Gotham and it's it's great and I it's you know, the, the, there was a great shot, too, of the exterior of, of Gotham Square Garden, you know, the Madison Square Garden slash whatever that place is actually called. Um, the Thompson Center. The Thompson Center. Um, and, you know, there's a shot of uh, an overhead shot of it where there's water flooding around it and the roof has patches ripped off. And it was super evocative of uh, the Superdome after Katrina. And I thought that that was you know obviously intentional in the same way that people for you know the last two decades have used shots of people running from like collapsing buildings and clouds of smoke to evoke that 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 emotional response that people had from seeing the 9-11 you know the twin towers fall it it, it evoked that same response to me like where of like watching you know the the superdome and you know knowing that everyone was fucking trapped inside it and like you using it for shelter like oh, after sure. katrina yeah well and that's how you know the 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 end coda sort of works is that you know batman gets a flare and then leads scared people from where it was flooded to presumably another area where it was flooded because the whole city's flooded <laughs> right <laughs> but but also you like why are you guys standing at the bottom of this fucking arena like go up to the upper like what are you doing yeah <laughs> like, what are you are you hiding under the rubble in the water too like get get on top of the rubble in the water like go, go up to the mezzanine like you don't need to right. be down in the, in the lower fucking bowl like the knicks right. aren't playing you know you don't need to be fucking or the gotham knights whatever the fuck they are um but yeah it, but i know I, I just like that and I, I really love that like that was the first scene of him like you know he, he's he's done heroic things in the movie but most of the movie is him trying to kick the shit out of, you know, the criminals in the city. And that was the first moment where he realized he needs to be more. He needs to be that, like he says in the voiceover, that symbol of hope. He needs to, 
you know, do heroic things, you know, to help people, not just to protect them or to enforce crime, you know, enforce justice after the fact and seek vengeance. It was actually to, you know, provide hope for people. Like I, I just, it was a nice, uh, you know, nice, nice touch. I, I enjoyed it. Even if the scene wasn't necessarily, you know, yeah, it's, it's some, you know, they got to wrap it up somehow. So it's, you know, no, no fault of theirs, but um, I had a couple of just like trivia things here that were yeah. um, not really stuff we touched on yet, but uh, Zoe Kravitz also just amazing in this film. Right. We haven't even talked about her. She's uh, great. Her, just her, her character also just written really well where it's not just like, Oh, she goes crazy. And now she's a crazy kid. Like she's, she has, you know, her own goals in this movie. And I love when she, you know, goes along with what Batman wants up to the point where she sees her goal and says, you know, fuck this. I'm trying to find my friend. Um, Oh, other one implausible thing that like in the movie, I know they're trying to like set up a lot of things in the one moment, but the idea that like you would have your, the people making the drugs and all the money and the Kingpin and a dead body, like all in the same place at the same moment is kind of laughable <laughs> but i get it um but yeah zill kravitz and this is just from imdb uh zill kravitz and robin pattinson re- received the same advice from the predecessors of their respective characters michelle pfeiffer and christian bale respectively uh make sure you can go to the bathroom while in costume <laughs> because <laughs> apparently in those old costumes you couldn't they're right? fucking so, rubber suits i mean you can you imagine trying right. to get out of that thing we need to take a piss like right and it's it's like if i have to go to the bathroom well you can't because we have to shoot for the next six hours straight without stopping but right. <laughs> like you, need, you you gotta have a cod piece that pops off of those things i mean right you know? uh, um, and it was zoe Kraft's idea apparently for catwoman to have very long nails with no nail polish on them so they looked more like claws pretty cool right and then you know a lot of the in the comics and in the game she has actual metal claws so that was a nice allusion to that yeah. you know uh, that and the whip are like her two you know her fucking ways that she you know evens the odds against you know 15 fucking goons that she's fighting or whatever you know but um no I, she was great and that actually you know the, the her being falcone's daughter was something that they alluded to in uh uh i think it's called dark victory it was like the 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 next series that jeff Loeb and tim sale did right after the long halloween uh was like the direct sequel to that uh it, it's something that they explore and they never like confirm fully but that's like explored pretty heavily in that so you could you could see this is more or less a real loose adaptation of jeff Loeb's, you know kind of batman run um but i but i like that that was that was a nice touch to it because you know very often like the you know especially in like the nolan movies the 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 kind of gotham crime families come across as fucking just over the top caricatures of of like italian mafia guys and you know, I, 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 they tried in this movie to make them a little more grounded. I think, you know, Italian mobs, mob criminals are just inherently fucking funny. You know, see also fucking Colin Farrell. But, it, it, you know, they, they tried to at least make them seem like realistic crime figures. Like in this, you know, more akin to like Sopranos characters than just fucking yeah. over the top goofballs. Well, I also loved how, you know, obviously, like the Nolan films, they shot a lot of this in Chicago and they also shot a lot of this in New York. But the the skyline we see repeatedly, you know, out out the you know, when they're when they're constantly standing on this, uh, you know, partially constructed building where you get this great vista of the city that that was all digitally created. So you get like a really complex, unique view 
of a, a city that looks real but mm. isn't actually a real city at all, uh, which was just amazing. And they shot all that in uh, the volume, which right. is the basically th- uh, 360 degree uh, LCD screen that uh, was first used in uh, Disney's Mandalorian, which I think used too much. Uh, really starts to, you know, like that was t- um, reading from the cinematographer here. Uh, name is Greg Frazier about how, you know, he he also worked on Mandalorian and also and he basically said, you know, yes, there's times where it looks great and there's times where it looks really flat and doesn't right. look real. So like we worked really hard to make it not look, you know, like there's certain kinds of light that just mm-hmm. don't look well in it. Um, soft lighting, you know, like the sun's going down lighting looks pretty good. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then basically this technology is not going away, but they'll just make it better and better until hopefully what eventually was, you can't even tell. <laughs> what was that thing we were watching that had like really obvious fucking like it was obvious there was a fucking screen. Like, I, I don't even remember what we were talking uh, about. Was, this there were some shots. Ago. Yeah, there were some shots in Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes. That were yes, yes, very right. obviously green screen that didn't need to be like just Spider-Man standing next to, to Happy at the fucking uh the, uh, the graveyard and there, it's like very obviously green screen and it's like why though like there's nothing about the shot graveyard there's a million right. graveyard like what the fuck <laughs> right i mean that's it's it just it's it's, it's and just I know a way it, to like, not pay union set you know set uh, like grips and shit exactly and fucking, you know but then you look at a movie like the eternals that was almost exclusively shot on actual locations outdoors and it looks fucking amazing the whole movie looks amazing because they actually took the time to go to these places and film shit there. And yeah, you know, you got to do some of the stunts on a soundstage and then, you know, do whatever. But they, you know, could then use the real footage they had shot as the basis for the CGI rather than just completely just like, oh, there's a fucking blue sky in a tree. And that looks like shit. <laughs> um, C- CGI, like, it should only be used when it's actually needed. And like, pr- yeah, it, it's just fucking right. It's, you know, it's just leading to the fucking homogenization of, of Hollywood that we've seen, you know, where when you used to make a fucking movie that had like crazy shit in it. The reason Jurassic Park still is one of the greatest fucking, you know, sci fi, you know, fa- whatever you want to call it, movies of all time is because it fucking looks incredible. Like you see the fucking rain you know, dripping off of the T-Rex. Like you, you were fucking terrified when you saw that scene for the first time, because you're like, holy shit, that's a fucking real thing. That's interacting, you know, with, the, with the environment. Cause they, they actually cloned real T-Rex. dinosaurs. Yep. They, they right, cloned yeah. real dinosaurs and they actually did. No, but yeah, no, they, it, they built a big fucking T-Rex and it didn't work and it was really expensive and it was a huge hassle, which is why they don't do it. But th- that's what you fucking need to do if you really want to make something that's not right. disposable, like that actually Even has aspect ratio. Fucking... Like if you want to make the dinosaurs look really fucking tall, then you, you need to shoot it in 16.9 instead of 2.3.5, which they made the mistake of doing in like every other fucking Jurassic Park movie and every single other one they've made is frankly terrible the the chris pratt jurassic park movies jurassic world whatever i mean they're whatever they're you know they're you know fluff but like they look like shit like the dinosaurs don't look as good as the dinosaurs in the in the 1994 jurassic park because they just a lot of that shit they could not do with cgi back then so they had to build animatronics and just get creative with the shooting and you know what that did was build suspense because you weren't seeing them all the time and it made them you know really fucking buckle down it's just I, I i hate that you know economics determines so much of every 
piece of you know genre cinema now in Hollywood. Well, because... And speaking of Jurassic Park, <clears throat> I didn't I obviously didn't know uh, you know who Matt Reeves was before I saw this, but of course I've seen many of his films. I didn't know who Michael uh, Giacchino was, but he scored all of the Jurassic Park Chris Pratt movies. Right, uh, and I would say that like none of the scores he's ever done have i mean i think the score for jojo rabbit is is pretty good but it doesn't like stand out to me like i couldn't yeah, it, it, can't I remember thought. a single piece of it i just know it's always you know making you feel emotions but the score of this film stood out to me immediately i was like this is this is like very much invokes a bunch of different scores but also there's pieces of music that sound like you know they really are from like a 1950s noir romance right um but just i mean it it fucking there's moments in this movie where the the score is the main character and right. is, you know, and I don't know why he's never had a score that really stood out to me before, but with this, it was just like, holy shit. You know, yes. like I've listened to the score by itself uh, probably 10 times. Just, just put it on while I'm doing other things. Just cause I'm like, Oh, this is so good. This is like a fucking horror movie. <laughs> I will say actually, I, I really, you know, you, uh, those movies are what they are, but I thought his, his scores to the, the Jurassic movies were actually really good. You know, in that they were obviously had to be evocative of that fucking all time iconic John Williams score, which, you know, you have to evoke that sort of, you know, that muscle memory and people's, you know, <laughs> nostalgia receptors by hitting those, those same kind of codas, but I thought he did a really good job of integrating yeah. that. That did probably the best thing about well, those movies. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good scores where you, you know, you don't remember the score, but the score was always there to like, you know, make you feel something do what it had in the do, right, right moment or, or, you know, tell you how you're supposed to feel. Um, but he, I mean, he also did the scores for Incredibles one and two, uh, the Planet of the Apes movies, uh, Star Trek beyond Zootopia, uh, and he did the score for 117 episodes of Lost. I was gonna say that's what yeah. I've known. That's what I knew his name from. Yeah. And you know, it's ironically enough the the opening, uh, like uh, the title card of Lost is literally just one sound effect. So people are like, oh, Lord, he did the one sound. But like he actually, like I remember a lot of really good uh, scores from Lost, and he like had to come up with legitimately like 20 you know, different character scores for that show because they had so many characters on that Jeez. show. And, <laughs> yeah. but, and like, you know, like you, with, you know, what you do with, with, with comp what composers do for people that don't know is they do come up with, you know, uh, themes for each character, you know, where, where it, you don't even think about it, but when you hear that, that music, it evokes them in your brain. Like it's just a, you know, something you do as a composer. So you know usually the the names of the tracks on a sound score or like you know for star wars you'd have leia's theme or exactly you know, right like and that's you know and then when they have scenes together you know you introduce each of those themes separately and then when they have a you know a, a pivotal scene together then you combine those two pieces of music in a way well, right that's, and it, it's, it's like subliminal but it's extremely emotionally effective that what they're manipulating out of you basically right and that's why if you watch uh, like The Last Jedi and the last scene, you know, when when Luke is, you know, dying on the rock at the end of The Last Jedi after he fucking, you know, force teleports or whatever to to help to fuck up uh, Kylo's plan. Like they hit that iconic fucking that that really like emotional coda, which is not the main Star Wars theme that you think of. But you the second you hear it, you're like, oh, fuck, that's that's the that's luke's theme that's the Tatooine score that's the, the first right. thing you hear when they show him for the first time looking out at the 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 two suns setting in in on Tatooine. so 
you know, it, it, it's, it's really important to, to, you know, give characters unique musical voices. And this guy's really good at that. So, uh, well, the amazing yeah. thing too is, you know, like I, th- I think like every director is going to want a film composer to come up with a score before they start the movie now, <laughs> because so many people have just been raving about this score and for how, because usually they you'll find like temp music, and that's what they'll listen to and shoot with, to get the mood of it, and you know they to be able to be on set mm. playing the music to get like the the mood right. That's just you know the actual music you know is going to be in the movie, and and the fucking. Michael Giacchino uh, uh, recorded, started recording with a 70 piece orchestra and like a 12 person choir without Matt Reeves knowing it. He just started doing this on his own after, after he knew he was going to, but he was just like, you know, so established that he can just go into, into a fucking studio uh, and start doing this on his own. And he, so this was like a total surprise. So literally like wow. right before they were about to do the, the screen test for, uh, for Pattinson, he gives him this tape. And says, this is the first piece of music that I have. And you can, you know, use it. <laughs> so he was he was blown away. Uh, Matt Reeves said he listened to it in his car with his, with his producer right before the screen test. And they were just like, this is fucking amazing. Like, this That's is awesome. <laughs> this is fucking incredible. Um, so I was just really, really amazed to, uh, you know, to learn all that. Because in, that's not a thing that happens. You know, like usually right. you make the whole movie with other pieces, even like in the, like trailers for movies, almost always use music from somebody else's movie that made a bunch of money. Right. It's never the actual music that's that's in it. Um, and I also, you know, I, we talked about this, but I have a you know pet peeve about, uh, you know, I think when the when the um, uh, Nirvana song, it was in uh, that fucking movie with uh, Nicole Kidman and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, God. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. yeah. I was so. Uh, just outraged by that i was just right, like fuck it was, you courtney love fuck it you was courtney so love. fucking just gross and like you know it, right. it, it's just a total <clears throat> bastardization of of you know the, the iconic music of kirk Cobain that you would never yeah. have fucking stood for and this but, was um, i mean this was just it was so when i when this was in the trailer it didn't really bother me because i'm like it's just the trailer and like whatever um but to, to see it you know when you instead of just having like a, a fucking huge soundtrack of like song after song after song uh, you know, just just to sell a soundtrack, basically. It's um, the only commercial song in the fucking movie, and it's and it's right. perfectly well, deployed. Yeah, Ave Maria is not really a commercial song. Yeah, and there's one other. There's a song I forget who it is, but there's a song playing in one of the scenes that uh, is somewhat pivotal too. But it's like low. It's like it's like playing in the scene and kind of mm-hmm. quiet in the background. But yeah, there's a few other songs in there, but none of them I, but, I think are as prominent. Of, yeah, right, as as prominent as that. But no, I, and and you could tell Matt Reeves is just a guy who you know, really knows what, what an important role music plays in a movie and like, not in like the, the fucking, uh, what's his face, uh, suicide squad guy fucking like, Oh, let's needle oh, drop as many God. fucking classic songs as we can. Like, you know, right. let's do queen. Well, and, let's and he knows do- how to do that. Well, but it's still, that's like the basis of his entire movie is just like, here's the songs of our you know like, the, the most obvious fucking choices imaginable like oh here's amanda waller let's play sympathy for the devil like really dude, <laughs> right. come on how fucking lazy is it you did know, you just... uh did you ever finish watching peacemaker no i you know i guess still go back and finish i really enjoyed that yeah. i watched the first like four or five episodes but I, I really enjoyed it so far i gotta go back and watch it but there was definitely some scenes that you could tell like they were doing so much good improv that like they didn't know how to edit it so like right. the edited versions of some of the scenes like they're the jokes aren't landing because they just they 
weren't using a script, right? And sometimes that's right. just how it is. Which is why you should just let an improv scene go on and cut with no edits. You know, just let them. Right. Let, let's see the the twenty five minute long version of the family dinner scene from Black Widow, where David Harbor and everyone was just like riffing about you know Christmas for twenty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a deleted scene I want to see. Right. Yeah, no, and but yeah, no, Cena it's fucking great. Like I it, he's another one like like who I just never would have thought would be as good of an actor and as like funny as he like he's just I don't know, it's weird, but uh no, he's really good in that. Um and I you know, I don't know what <laughs> I mean, it, it, DC's so fucking weird cuz they have so many continuities now where they have like like a lot of shit and then a couple of good things within those continuities so it's gonna be really it's almost like they're more willing to try different things because they have made so many failures they're just like let's they are right we can throw anything at the wall at this point you know let's just call it we'll call it the multiverse everyone can be in their own fucking universe who gives a fuck yeah whereas marvel's just like we're making a billion dollars in every single one of these we'll control every single fucking aspect of it right and they're all the same universe right and it will be consistent b plus entertainment every time but we're not gonna ever fucking hit a <laughs> right we're never gonna do anything that's gonna be too controversial so we're never gonna get an a and we're never gonna get an f but right. <laughs> uh but dc's fine with you know taking big swings and getting a lot yeah. of f's and, and a lot of a's honestly you've been watching that uh, night series on uh disney right yeah yeah i'm a couple episodes behind but i saw the first three i think yeah the first yeah three. i was i was you know because it's they definitely were you know kevin feige's trying to push them to be more violent and get away from like all the bloodless shit uh because disney sucks um but this is definitely you know like the one of the one of their better shows i think and definitely is you know pushing the envelope as far as having more realistic violence telling a more complex interesting story where you're like i don't really know how i feel about any of these characters this is like a definitely a a moral gray area here and that's and that was the great thing about moon knight is like in the you know in the comics he was always like the marvel equivalent of batman so he's always someone i always as a kid enjoyed but he, he also has this interesting thing where in the comics he is always written as this like schizophrenic character who like right. he has multiple personalities already which is why he was a, an easy target for you know conchu the, the egyptian god of of the moon or whatever the fuck he is to like take him and use him as his vessel as his avatar because he he knows you think that they were just sitting weak. around at uh marvel headquarters in the 70s back when they were doing all kinds of drugs and just come oh, up with fucking crazy 100%. shit it's it just like one day somebody was like under a deadline and uh and they're like uh i don't know what if we made a batman but white costume <laughs> all right, <laughs> right there we go <laughs> yeah and no and moon knight's great and like it, a lot of this i think a lot of the series is kind of based on you know some of the characterizations and loosely story elements from uh this run that came out pretty recently that uh max bemis did the yeah. uh singer from say anything this this band that i fucking loved in the early 2000s this really like out there alternative uh, not really emo but i mean they're they're, they're alternative they're they're kind of un, undefinable but they're really interesting um uh, band and the the lead singer is this guy who's like admitted to battles publicly with bipolar uh, bipolar disease and schizophrenia so he really i think injected a lot of that into his portrayal of the character so a lot of that's you know that that was the most interesting thing i've ever seen done with the moon knight character so it's cool to see yeah them do that on the series um you know as goofy as it can be with the fucking with oscar isaac's british accent but um no it's, it's good <laughs> yeah it is good i thought that third episode uh not only did you know because the first two episodes he just like fights a, a fucking dog twice you know it's like <laughs> okay come on this is this like getting redundant here but i thought the the big fight scene 
in that third episode, I was like, all right, here we go. Here's here's what we've fucking been waiting for. And then also just like the giant fucking starlight show at the end. I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. I've never seen right. anything quite like that before. And Ethan um, Hawke's fucking great. Ethan Hawke's good in anything he's in. That, I'm convinced that guy. Is yeah, fun. he's just so, he's too nice. I can't take him seriously as the villain <laughs> when he's just the- like you know ethan hawk he's like he's a fucking boy scout you know but he's but i i, I really like that he's giving this real like just evil version i mean not that, not that david crush was a great guy but like he's like he said he took a lot of inspiration from that character from you know studying david koresh and kind of other yeah. you know what people consider to be cult leaders you got yeah I, you, you gotta have a a winning personality to to have a cult um right even if you are a maniac <laughs> right so i think I, I i just visualize him as that and it's like just the dark more dark-sided version of the 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 version of david koresh that we got on like waco where he he is clearly like delusional but he's not you know a terrible fucking like he's not the what you know necessarily what he was portrayed to be like this child molester the, we did we, we did yeah. Show? yeah i was i was trying to remember if we ever talked about it or just actually did it was just, i don't know how many things we fucking reviewed at this point but like yeah. i literally i i can't keep track of things that we reviewed and haven't reviewed yeah that like, series is fucking great i, I yeah we i, I want to go back and watch that that was a good show um but no i but i like i like his portrayal is like this just really fucking out there like koreshian sort of like cult leader um who's you know menacing in his own way even though he's obviously like he just comes across super yeah. nice on screen but he's definitely got a menace to him well, where do you um, see the fourth episode because uh things shift gears in an interesting way um yeah, that i did not see coming but it's like oh this is <laughs> like like the, the thing i loved about the the um WandaVision series was like it starts out as a mystery where you have no fucking clue what's going on for the first three episodes right right and I love that, you know, they're, they're willing to kind of push the envelope of storytelling in that way, too, of just, you know, like not explaining everything, like have things be a mystery, have the protagonist not know what the fuck's going on and let the audience not know either. Because then I'm like, well, I want to know what the fuck that was. <laughs> I'm going to tune right. in next week um, rather than, you know, solving everything at the end of every episode. But uh, right. well, speaking of solving things, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, the Batman, fucking great. Um, uh, you, you hit all your trivia things that you wanted to hit, right? Uh, yeah, I had some others, but it's it's not that important. Oh, one last thing. Yeah, this is just you know the way the world works. But uh, you know, Peter Sarsgaard, who plays D.A. Coulson, uh, is the real life husband of Maggie Gyllenhaal, who portrayed ADA Rachel uh, Dawes in The Dark Knight in two thousand eight. Uh, and both characters, in addition to working in the district attorney's office, met the same fate dining in an explosion. So <laughs> nice little nice little thing. It's like, hey, honey, guess guess what job I got? I got to play you. <laughs> I'm going to DA in a Batman movie and they're going to blow me up. <laughs> right. Being the being in a, you know, the DA in a Batman movie is never, never a good thing. No, 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 for sure. You're 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 for sure getting blown up by whatever psycho he's trying to. Take I mean, down. you should have known um, better. It's Gotham, right? It's like right. the, you're, and there were, you're and in there that were, universe. And there were like a lot of, I don't not homages, but like similar touches to the Nolan to Dark Knight and stuff. You know, like with that, with like when they 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 have like you know the Riddler's got like a fucking scope set up at a wind, like you know just little little things. But I think that's just inevitable yeah. when you're you're doing a crime. You know, like it, it's just. I don't think any of it was like, you know, a rehash or anything. I think Dano like did a very was, yeah. specific I mean, thing with his character. Even the Riddler's logo was like taken from the Zodiac Killer logo. Oh yeah, no, that was for like sure. Very, very similar. And and I love that the cafe uh where they catch Paul Dano's Riddler 
is like very obviously designed to look like the the cafe from Edward Hopper's famous uh, painting Nighthawks. You know, the yeah, right, I'm about. right, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that huge curved window, like just right. every little thing in this was taken from somewhere. You know, like you know, that's that's really just how f- what filmmaking is, and and music is just you know. I mean, there's only people said that the main theme of this movie sounded like the uh, Darth Vader Imperial, Imperial March. Right. And and to me, it, it sounds more like he's riffing off of the Nirvana song than anything. But still, there's only 12 notes. <laughs> right. So well, like, and it was the similar it was the same like notes in a different sequence as the Imperial March. But I mean, that again, you're you only have so many fucking notes and you're, right. you know, using minor, you know, minor key. That's what it's going to all fucking sound the same. But yeah, he. You know, was overall, off of- yeah, he must have known that, like, yeah, this is going to invoke a, a, a feeling of dread, and that's what we're trying to convey here. Is like he's trying, he's Which- in the monologue, he's talking about the ways he's trying to use fear, right? So you want the audience to feel the fear that those criminals fear, and that's and- what I think is is so great about, I mean, the whole movie, but especially the introduction. I think the introduction is really the unique thing that catches people off guard when they watch this. No, it was perfectly executed. And that, and and that's, you know, it was such a great choice too, to use something in the way, because that song is like a, just very unsettling song. Like the first time I remember, I don't remember when, but I, I remember like the first time I heard it, it was just very, you know, it's not like it's, it is a very arresting, like, you know, unsettling sort of fucking uh, dirge. And, You know, the, it, they had a really hard time recording it, uh, and like it just kept being too fucking loud, and like it, the drums were too loud. Like it just didn't, you know, they couldn't they couldn't get Dave Grohl to calm down, basically, right. uh, when they were recording it. And so, and eventually, they just had uh, uh, Butch Vig, the, the you know the sound engineer of, of uh, Nevermind, uh, great fucking sound engineer. He, uh, but he would he just took a microphone into like the room that Cobain was sitting in. And he just played it on his acoustic guitar and like the guitar was out of tune. So like the orchestra, when they came in to record, had a really hard time recording their parts. They had to like detune their instruments just enough to match his. But hmm. it's it's just very uh, a counter to everything that they're that they are, you know, the classical classically trained musicians do. So, right. It was just a real. that's why it's got that really like. <clears throat> fucking like dark you know tone to it because it's not oh, quite yeah. in tune it's out of, it's slightly it's so lo- dark i mean it's written by a guy tune. it's written by a guy and he, i mean you listen to the song and you're just like wow i this i hope this guy doesn't commit suicide <laughs> right <laughs> bad news <laughs> if that's what you thought spoiler <laughs> alert that's a, right um <laughs> you know and and yeah no it, it but it's it was, it was great fucking choice but uh yeah i i, I love this movie i i really want to see uh other stuff that matt reeves has done and i really want to see what he could do with another one because i i really liked uh everything about his approach and pattinson's approach and oh you yeah know. They'll, i mean they've <laughs> they got a winner uh so what would you give this uh uh how many hammer and sickles would you give this I would give this five out of five hammer and sickles. I mean, I, yeah. I really don't have any complaints, uh, you know? Yeah. I, I would also give it five out of five. I mean, I, I, uh, very, very different movie than Spider-Man, but, uh, I would say, you know, just as good, uh, if in the total in its, opposite in its direction. Own way. Right. <laughs> this right. is, this is a movie that I would describe to somebody as uh, extremely my shit after watching it. Like this movie right. is well, this, this everything I've wanted out of a Batman movie. Yeah, it's it's like I mean we've seen these iterations of these characters over and over and over, but what do those two movies have in common is that they they were, you know, 
doing something to show you who the character really was and, you know, reminding you of uh, why they are the who, who they are. I mean, obviously, they're right. very different characters, but it's like, here's why. Like, here's the links that each one would and, go and, to do different things. And here's why they matter to, to you as as somebody who's known them your entire fucking life since childhood and why, and you who right. you've, you know, grown up with reading about in the comics and you've developed this image of. And these, like, yeah, it, it feels like, you know, the, this movie and, you know, No Way Home, or, uh, yeah, No Way Home was written by, you know, somebody who fundamentally understood why that character is important to people and why that character gives people hope. So I I really like that, that, you know, yeah, I really, I really want to see another Matt Reeves, uh, Batman. uh, Well, and it's amazing too, that like, you know, they've gotten this good at making these things and then something like Morbius can still come out and you're just (laughs) like, what? There's no fucking Jared Leto's a fucking curse on, on any kind of like franchise. (laughs) He's just, wherever he goes he's too fucking weird he's too fucking bizarre he's too he's too method like you're not daniel day lewis motherfucker like relax like stop no. stop leaving boxes of your shit in your co-workers trail like you, know, like, you don't need fucking to do dead body parts hey that'll be fun that'll impress my co-stars uh, yeah. healthy working no, environment um yeah no uh but yeah no great five out of five yeah, all right. So I think that pretty much wraps us up. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, so yeah, uh, if you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe. Um, <laughs> which, by, which, by the way, is funny. Just real funny. It, that last video the Riddler does, he gives like a fucking like a like a low level YouTuber, like, "Hey guys, uh, thanks for the thanks for the likes, thanks for the." Co-. I, I I just that really yeah. fucking thanks cracked for the tips me up. on detonators, <laughs> right? Thanks for the tips on detonators. Oh, and that and you know, one more. Fuck, I keep thinking of things I want to mention. That in that scene too, where you see them looking through the the forums of all the fucking guys who eventually show up in the uh in the garden, that was really fucking chilling. Cause at first it like I, I didn't realize they were just going, I mean, you know, I, it was chilling either way, but I didn't realize they were saying, like, oh, you know, I'll bring my my AK, whatever. I thought they were just like it, it felt very like Columbine to me, like they were just a bunch of guys showing up to just mow down as many people in the crowd as possible oh yeah it, it was just very it was very disturbing so i was like that's really effective you know visual storytelling with all the fucking message board posts popping up and shit um fucking great but yeah anyway <laughs> yep the times we live in <laughs> yeah but that's why it was it was it was very well done because it was very realistic and people are fucking insane and everyone has a gun so uh yeah anyway on that cheery note um yeah rate and view subscribe uh wherever you get your podcast follow us on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash move left uh check out our main show move left idiots we do socialist uh commentary on the news uh weekly more or less um, on the <laughs> same channel yeah we'll be um, back on that uh, next week yeah next week uh yeah and uh facebook.com slash move left idiots patreon.com slash move left I am on Twitter at move underscore left. Uh, And I'm on Twitter at bike slutty. Yeah. And we'll see you next week.